0: The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome in joy. Greetings, 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 all one-time live listeners. This is Ken Jenkins, the host. Thank you for being here once again. This is episode 31, an interview with James Godsell. Godsell is one of the most interesting people I've had the pleasure of meeting in my life, and I have met many colorful, interesting people, and I'm very grateful for all and any of them who, uh, well, have... Crossed my path, number one, um, but also who may still be in contact with me and agree to uh, join this podcast to share just a mere bit of their life experience and story. I hope this is the uh, first of many interviews with God's Hill. It encourages me, <laughs> perhaps, to up the frequency of a weekly podcast so that I can include more. Um, I've got a bit of a backlog to work through, and there are uh, a number of people that I'd like to revisit, Um Godsell certainly is at the front of that line. I met Godsell in 2002 when working for the City of Milwaukee Department of City Development, and he introduced me actually to the works of Eckhart Tolle, who in this interview I think I may have... Said mistakenly it was 2004 but it, it was earlier than that I had started working elsewhere in 2004 so um, thank you very much Godsell for that marvelous introduction to uh, the teachings of Eckhart which continued to inspire me ever more deeply what to say about Godsil? why am I reaching out to this guy for an interview he is a monument of a human. He is a force of nature. He is a magnificent mind and active hands. He gives legs and teeth and voice to movements. He connects people. He waters and rears the the seedlings of good ideas to make sure that they are nurtured sufficiently with the right people around them collectively to grow into some productive fruiting body that provides healthy knowledge and life experience to the village, however small or great that village size might be god still, thanks to the encouragement of one of his friends has written down uh some of his life history and it's a work in progress and he shared it with me and it's excellent <laughs> excellent to read it is difficult to not want to just read the whole thing um and i wanted to choose a portion of it to read to give a sense of his voice and to give a sense of um of his story and so from this sort of autobiographical piece that he's working on i've chosen a selection uh that is a a bit of uh, allegory and a bit of genealogy and, and he calls it gonzo genealogy so it's has its roots in uh material fact that that can be assembled through, you know, traditional genealogical ancestry, uh, with his own, it's like those are the lines, and he colors it in with his own allegory, so that he can uh, teach his his children, his family, that as he says, we are all the children of African diaspora; that the blood of all of God's children flow through God's veins so here is that story and i'll begin with um, i'll begin with it now this is just a portion from what godzilla is working on so here it is some of it is real some of it is myth the difference between reality and myth is not always clear and sometimes does not really matter Sometimes nothing can be so real and practical as a good founding myth. Indigenous, ambiguous, and universal. The Godsils have been taught that the blood of all people flows through our veins. As different family members have studied the history of God's peoples on the planet Earth, they have woven together the story to explain how it could be that a person like myself could be a distant cousin to everyone. Our beginnings in Mother Africa. They say that our family story can be traced back no further than three or four thousand years ago in the gold mines of Mali, not far from where emerged the glorious city of Timbuktu. I am told that the gold that was mined in Mali near the Niger River not far from Timbuktu, played a major role in the emergence of the civilization of the Near East and the Mediterranean. It seems that our family got in trouble for speaking too loudly to power, and we sought refuge in Somalia on the eastern coast of Africa, not far from the origin of the Nile River. In Somalia we became sailors, artisans, and merchants, working on ships with maritime commerce between Asia and Africa, including India and China. Memories suggest that we never did well with received wisdom or orthodoxies of any kind. We offended many groups by our openness to engage in dialogue, business, and even marriage with quote-unquote out-groups, not very appreciated by whatever in-group we were identified with at the time. So we drank from the wine of such world religions as Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and more. We also intermarried with Asians and considered ourselves Asian Africans. Moving on to Europe. Our diaspora from Mother Africa began about a millennium ago, around the time when Mohammed's armies conquered much of the world between Gibraltar and India. They say we tended to be cooks and chefs for the armies and ruling groups of Islam, settling finally after centuries of Western movement across North Africa in a great city named Cordoba. There we intermarried not just with the Spanish but also with some German and Italian families that worked as blacksmiths and jewelers. Some say that one of our ancestors was a Jew Who was a right-hand man to Saint Ignatius Loyola, founder of the Jesuit order of priests. By 1588, one of our ancestors was an archer who went with the Spanish Armada to attack England. During a great storm, many of the ships crashed on the southern coast of Ireland. One of them, the Santa Maria de la Rosa, was destroyed on the rocks of the Blasket Islands near County Cork, Ireland. Our ancestors survived, became a soldier for an Irish lord who himself paid a certain amount of homage to the hated English and was eventually given some land to farm and raise a family. This family eventually produced my great-great-grandfather, Richard Godsill, a schoolmaster in Dublin at the Prescott Catholic Elementary School. Richard Godsill was to be bludgeoned to death by an orange man. For his work on behalf of the nascent Irish independence movement. To America Richard's children became orphaned after his wife was institutionalized and their patria- patrimony largely lost in a brickyard business run by an uncle. One son, Joseph, and daughter, Mary, were sent down to the southern tip of Latin America all the way up to San Francisco where they were given to the care of a pub and innkeeper, methinks named Charles Godsell. Either Charles or his brother were said to have been soldiers in the Union Army, which fought the war against the Confederate armies, which brought an end to 10,000 years of officially sanctioned slavery in Western civilization. The girl became a nun in Belmont, California, and her brother Joseph became a molder, i.e., a factory worker who helps make metal objects. Joseph eventually moved to St. Louis, Missouri, sort of like the Timbuktu of North America, i.e. a central trade route between east and west, north and south. Not long before the Great World's Fair of St. Louis, meet me in St. Louis, Louis, Joseph met my great-grandmother, Mary Duncan, whose family moved from Glasgow, Scotland, where she worked one half day in a textile mill at the age of 10. One of their children, Joseph Godsell, my father, married Mary Patricia Donnelly in 1934 during the height of the Great Depression in America. Grandma Mary, my mom, was all Irish. My sister Joanne tells me she was Mother Mary and danced a pretty good Irish jig. Grandpa Joseph was Scottish, Irish, and English. They told me they met at Dance Hall near Grand Avenue, just north of St. Louis University, where I got my Bachelor's of Arts and Master's of Arts. We are family. So you can see that we Godsil's feel a kinship with all of God's children. I have a feeling that we have been part of the struggle of minority people wherever we live eye on the prize of full citizenship rights, the most expansive envisioned for the times, not only because that's the right thing to do, but also because, in the last analysis, we are all family. The human race is one. And we must, too, become one with every living creature in Earth community, gratefully taking in, gracefully giving forth, Life's material and spiritual energies. Why not? So that from a bit of Godsell's autobiography or memoirs in production. Thank you for sharing that, Godsell. And I like the way that he ends it with, why not? This is often a way that he would uh, end an email. He was a prolific emailer for many of the causes that uh he either spearheaded or was helping to carry the weight of. So um before we get into it, a couple podcast notes as usual. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, uh anything at all that you want to share, please send me an email at all one time live at gmail.com and I will attend to its contents in due time at my soonest ability to do so and also as always remember we are all one as God still says the self as you sit here now as you take a breath feel the air feeding your life this intake of oxygen into your lungs This air is feeding you, feeding your brain, feeding your heart, feeding your lungs. The breath taken by every single living human being from the moment we are born until the moment that we leave this breath. We all take this breath. We all share this. Whatever... Apparent differences we may have externally. We are all one. Our self is truly the same in the other. And the other in ourself. It is only these superficial differences of crenulated geography on our skins. Based on the, the unique life paths that we all do have that makes us apparently different. But deep down, and as God still points out, long through the course of history, as you go deeper and deeper still, we are all one. And not even just in humanity, but all of life. So love yourselves. As your mother or father has loved you, as you would love your children, as there is any love to bear, allow yourself the love of that truest love nature for yourself and to yourself from yourself and recognize also that ability to love in the other love yourself as you would love another and love the other as you can love yourself and allow yourself to be loved Just as you are, exactly at this point, right now. Surrender. Relax to that being. Love yourself as you are. Remarkable, beautiful you. All right, so in this moment now of presence, we get to listen to this conversation I had with James Godsell, it happened um uh, the 3rd of December, it was not quite snowy in Milwaukee. And one thing I can say about Godsaw, I'm not sure how much we talk about it in this interview because it, it was a bit ago, <laughs> but um, he was a roofer in Milwaukee for decades. And as we're talking, he was up and down on a ladder while doing the interview, cleaning leaves out of the gutters. Uh, This is his comfort zone. As a former health and safety guy, uh, (laughs) it was freaking me out a little bit. But this is not my business now. I did mention it to him, but uh, this is life. And and this is his, his home there, up and down the ladder, up on the roofs, no problem. So uh, that's how the interview took place. You can probably hear the rattle of the aluminum ladder or the gutters now and again. And, And what God still shares, it's all cherry, man. It's all just ripe fruit. And I'm so grateful again and look forward to more. So hope you enjoy it too. Here's that excellent conversation with James Godfill. God, sorry. That's cool though. Godfill. Godsill, James Godsill. Here you go. Hi, Godsil.
1: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs>
0: you sound the same, man. <laughs> <I>
1: <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> it's amazing. I met you. Did I meet you through the Irish City Planner?
0: Yeah, oh, the geez. Irish City Planner, O'Reilly.
1: O'Reilly?
0: Yeah, Brian O'Reilly, yeah. <laughs> I never thought of him as the Irish city planner. It sounds. And so your
1: weird. mother, your mother.
0: Also. Yeah, you do know my mom. How do you know my mom, Godsil? She's a I... <laughs> storyteller, eco educator. Maybe uh, it was Facebook.
1: I don't. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I I cannot begin. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm a dropout academic, right?
0: Uh no man tell 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 me your story a little bit I mean uh, maybe oh, I do man. and I don't but um let's introduce you via those stories so go on
1: well <laughs> I uh, good grief where do where does one start so you know that I was in the open housing marches in Chicago Freedom Summer '66 you know that no. I oh, so you don't know that much
0: about me, huh? Well, uh, what I know about you Jim is um when we first met which was about 2004-2005 something like that through, through that Irish city planner um with Milwaukee makes place and you had introduced uh to Brian and I a book by a, some guy named Eckhart Tolle called The Power of That was my first meeting with James Godsell. Eckhart yeah the power of now i introduced him to you yeah and you you held this book like this is the shit like you guys have to read this like whatever else you do i'm telling you you got to read this book Um, really yeah yeah so thanks to you you introduced me to a a guy that's been a major uh player and soundtrack and in my existence and consciousness and personal development um very nice and and from there, Jim, it was really like, uh, I, I know about Milwaukee roofing because I I know Tyler Smart. I don't know if that name rings a bell. Oh, Tyler
1: Smart. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah.
0: So Tyler and I went to school together way back when we were about 12 or so. We're still in touch. Um, and the Milwaukee Renaissance and connections with growing oh power my. that led into Sweetwater, and and so it's, it's been more of a modern gym. Yeah, so you
1: know that story a bit, huh?
0: A bit, but uh-huh. but your backstory not so much. Uh-huh. But I'm not at all surprised if you told me you were on the roof of the White House with Willie Nelson. Um, so you can bring bring me back to the to the marches you were involved in. Oh in, my God! Wow.
1: Oh my goodness. It's just, there's just too much. Oh man. (laughs) You know, I have a buddy, you ever hear of Jeff Egan?
0: Yeah, I know Jeff Egan. He's, he's, he'd be my age too. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. Egan is my age.
0: Uh, okay. How about
1: ESHAC? Eastside Housing Action Committee?
0: Don't know it. I've been away from, from Milwaukee for quite a while, man. No,
1: no, this is, this is ancient history. Okay. Uh, So Egan has inspired me to tell my story in in a Google Docs document. Okay. And I must have like 300 pages of uh, prose and and pictures, and it's hard for me now. To
0: talk. (laughs) Yeah, let's not let's not let's not have to scoop all that up. That's good. If if whenever it's ready, or or if you can send me a link to how it's partially ready, that's cool. I can fill in the rest. What I would like from you is in this living moment, this present moment, what what you are compelled to share for whatever however many minutes we have to talk. What is what is what are you moved by to? share from from your witness vantage point of of life
1: well how about telling me a a bit about who will be listening in on us
0: well i have a humble humble audience right now a steady audience of only about 15 people um and i imagine that's a lot of people yeah are you climbing a ladder be careful yeah, if you that I'm while you're out, Zooming.
1: I'm cleaning out gutters, can You,
0: <laughs> you are not, are you? Yeah. You are not.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you see? Uh, I don't know how to...
0: No, your camera's down on, man. Can you put your camera... Oh,
1: hold on. Yeah, let me see if I can find my camera. I, uh, I'm a relative novice. Well, I am a novice. I consider myself a a novice to this uh new technology i'm thrilled that it's here but this is only maybe the fifth or tenth i can see you but you can't see me
0: no but there may be like an icon of a camera somewhere in one of the corners or something
1: okay maybe i okay so there i am
0: I think I, I see a picture of Megan and her her daughter.
1: Uh, that that's actually my perfect daughter, Brighty. Uh huh. Her miracle son, who's too pretty to be a girl, a boy named Remy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And.
0: I lost you on audio right now. I think you might have just hit mute.
1: I'll tap to speak. God.
0: Now you're, that's cool. You're close, man. You're zooming in. It might be right next to it. Ah, shit. Lost you on sound again. No worries. (laughs) It would be good to see you, but it's, this is all audio anyways, but I cannot hear you at the moment. You're muted. There, now you're back. Now you're back. Now you're gone. So wherever your noodle in there with your finger is, right around the the mute unmute, and right now you're muted. But no stress, man. Are you gone? Godzilla has left the building, but I imagine you'll come back. So. I'm sure I've given a lengthy intro. Uh, So perhaps some music at the moment. So at this point, uh, Godzilla left the Zoom meeting. And he is about to call back on uh, Facebook Messenger, which I wasn't quite prepared for, but we solved. I brought the phone up to the... uh, Microphone here, and put the volume up. And the sound quality is a bit dodgy. I'm going to try to lift it as I can in the places where it's quiet. I also had uh, leaned away from the mic so I wasn't overpowering his volume. This is the way the show goes. It's this is this is the live part of All One Time Live. It's happening right now, and these surprises occur so. Sit back, relax, enjoy the music. We'll be right back with James Godsell. And a bit patchy audio fixed where I'm able to as best I can. Listen for the rustle of the leaves in the gutters as he cleans them out. I love you. Love yourselves. Love each other. And we're back. Video chatting. Hey Godsell. Um, yeah. Uh, let me see if I can tune up the volume because with zoom, I get to record it. Are you really out cleaning gutters? (laughs) You are climbing a ladder. That is, that is hilarious. As I, you know, I had, I had a career as health and safety guy. So I, (laughs) <laughs>
1: um, so you know that I well you know I ran a roofing company for 40 plus years right
0: yeah yeah Milwaukee Roofing yeah
1: Community Roofing
0: Community Roofing sorry yeah uh,
1: it's still there uh, I turned it over to Josh Fraundorf who I threw into the, the lake when he was 22 and said you better swim because there was three of my teenage children has just died and I don't have the wherewithal to run a business anymore so we're going to accelerate your development.
0: You lost we three of your big. kids?
1: No, the mother of three of my children okay, um,
0: okay.
1: died of uh, lung cancer. She was a big smoker. God, bless, God rest her. May she rest in peace. Alright, so... All right, so now I'm sitting, like a a neurotypical. Uh, And how about sharing with me some concepts or stories that you'd like me to begin with? Because I I have so many... And am I allowed to use salty language?
0: You you can say fuck and shit bastard.
1: All right, I have so many fucking stories i can't stand it. Uh,
0: so well the tell me the wick i'd focus want you to light God yeah Godsill God God focus, focus, God God we are all here for a fleeting moment as you know. Right. We're right. we're here and we're gone before most of us even realize we were ever here to begin with and and could do something with it, something right. meaningful. And i know that you know that. I know right. that I you are that. a bright light there, man. Right. So right. From that perspective, oftentimes, you know what? Here, here's the question. Um, to to boot us off, I used to keep a notebook when I would travel, and if I ran across someone that had white hair, I would ask him this question: If you could give Very yourself good. advice when you were my age, which at the time was right. my early twenties, uh, having right. lived your life now, if you could turn back and give yourself advice, what would you say?
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I have a bunch of uh, Godsil aphorisms that I say over and over again to my children. And uh, I can, what would I say? Oh, tell me about your 15, your valiant 15 that might radiate to 30 next year, the year after, and then to 90, and then to 200, and who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about them so I can figure out which of the. God, so aphorisms make most most sense.
0: So when I was fifteen.
1: No, no, no. The fifteen of your uh, comrades oh, yeah. uh, that okay. are sharing well, some. I uh,
0: what I I don't get specific individual information on them, but I I know the stats. So the stats I can see within about two days after any new episode is released, I've got fifteen listens in the in the bag. Nice. Over nice. time, that grows to maybe about 100, um, but that, that nice. can take some time, and, and different episodes have different levels of interest. It's mostly between Sweden and the U.S., but in total, it's listened to in 20 countries the last I checked.
1: Cool. And um, you're living in Sweden now? I'm
0: living in Stockholm, yeah. So it is dark cool. here by 3.30. It's 4 o'clock right now. Oh, uh-huh, a little bit after. uh-huh.
1: uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Um, so, and, and the, what the purpose of this podcast is, is, is almost, I don't want to chuck it up to say a living memoir. It's just that I'm aware that I'm here and I'm gone. And while I'm here for those that I love, for those meaningful experiences I have had that I would want to share for the people that I've met, whose stories or lives have been meaningful to me that I want to share this is the vehicle to do it. It's kind of like a, a living painting, if you will.
1: That's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Great idea.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. I can do it for well, the That
1: helps too. me out. That helps me out. In in the 500 to 1,000 pages of uh, so-called memoirs, and uh, they're cherry-picked memoirs. I'm only sharing stories that make me uh happy or that helped me work through uh complexities uh so one of the things that uh stands out in talking with you and hearing about your purpose is that uh, a big part of my life has uh, come from um being uh Focused on asking questions of people who have energy and are doing interesting things that I don't know about, uh, listening to them, and then if it looks like there's a space for either collaboration with myself or collaboration with uh, what I call who I call my sweet ones or my heroes or my Olympian Mensch. Uh, to begin making introductions and advancing very modest collaboration experiments. So for example, when I was um, 20 years old, I followed my girlfriend from St. Louis to Chicago during the summer of 1965 and I was able to make money uh, and support myself in Chicago because I had the modicum of, a, of the skill of a journeyman roofer at uh, at 20 years old. And on the weekends, I would go to what was then called Old Town in Chicago. You ever hear of Old Town? It was sort of like no. uh, Greenwich, the Greenwich Village of Chicago.
0: Okay.
1: And I would go to kind of tune into the emerging counterculture of the 60s. And while there, uh, I encountered a group of about five kids from Roosevelt University who were debating uh, an angry crowd as to the merits of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And this is 1965. And I had never, I, I'm raised in a working class uh, Jesuit Catholic background, and I had never heard an American uh, argue against uh, what I now call the Cold War consensus, which back then had it that uh, communism was a monolith uh, directed by Moscow. And uh, filled with brilliant people who could put uh, sort of Sputniks up in the atmosphere before us, uh, bent on uh, destroying uh, our culture. Uh, and I had never heard somebody say, "Well, no, it's more complex than that, boy." And these these uh, college students from Roosevelt University were explaining about the intricacies of the communist movement. Uh, Across the planet, and the uh, autonomy of the Vietnamese uh, uh, freedom fighters by Vietnamese, by the you know North Vietnam and the southern supporters of Vietnam, Vietnamese unification, uh, they were. Semi autonomous from both China and Russia. They played them off. They got help from them, but they were really calling their own shots. They were their own nationalist movement. They were not pawns of the Russians or the Chinese. And I'd never heard that. And so I went back to campus to the fall of 65 and I wouldn't sign a petition supporting the war in Vietnam. Uh, and I told the kids who were. Uh, peddling the committee, the petition, I said, well, listen, I, I heard some students from uh, in Chicago uh, put forth some arguments that have inspired me to start reading some books and articles about this story before I sign any petitions. And I wrote a letter to the student newspaper suggesting that they organize a teach-in, like had been held in Berkeley, to my inspiration, Mario Savio. The free speech movement of Berkeley, I believe it was 1962 or 63. I thought that was very cool. And the president of the student body was my fraternity brother. And he sat next to me in an ecumenical theology class. And he said, God, so that was a, I was a basketball player at that time. He said, God, so that was a great uh, letter you wrote. Why don't you organize and teach it? And I said, hey man, that's that's for intellectuals. I don't do that, I'm a basketball player. And he said, well, I'll help you. And so I signed on and I, I agreed to recruit panelists, uh, two pro-Vietnamese professors and two anti-Vietnam War professors. The anti-Vietnam War, the peace professors were from Washington University And it turns out that at some point in their career, they had let it be known that they were atheists, or maybe agnostics. And at that time, St. Louis U had a censorship policy that atheists could not address the student body. So Father McQueenie, the Dean of Student Affairs, said, no, 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 you can't have uh, Buckholz and Spectre on your panel." My fraternity brother is a very clever dude, and he ran a, he was friends, he actually controlled the student newspaper in a way. So there's huge headlines on the front page of the student newspaper, McQueenie censors Vietnam teaching, mm-hmm. And I wind up being the point person for that front page story and the media starts calling me, all the campus intellectuals want to talk with me. And McQueenie's censorship turned what would have had, you know, 50 intellectuals show up, turn into a major campus, if not St. Louis Catholic event, and there must have been 800 people showed up. And we had to open up, an, yeah, we had to open up another hall. <laughs> and and I introduced the the event, and um, I I was good enough in public speaking at the time that I didn't make a fool of myself. At which point, the head of the student uh, great issue series, Tom Heidenry, who had an eight thousand dollar budget in nineteen sixty five money, asked me if he would like if I would like to be groomed to take over the Great Issue series for 1966, 65, 66, the following year. And so all of a sudden, I went from being a has-been, I couldn't, I wasn't good enough to play major college basketball. Uh, so I, I, that's why I was in a fraternity, to have something to do. So I went overnight I went from being a, a has been college basketball player fraternity boy into being uh, highly re- recognized and in certain circles celebrated quote intellectual unquote <laughs> heading up uh, you know $8000 in 1965 money is like 100,000 today
0: Absolutely. so I had
1: 100 I had 100 grand to bring speakers in uh for the following year plus all this notoriety and uh that made me say well you better start reading books Godzo." so uh so i i just became as obsessed with uh reading and learning uh at that point forward as i was you know in eighth grade shooting baskets and it was just because i was unafraid to listen to uh opinions outside of my uh culture and ask questions, and let people know I was asking the questions, and and take some small risks that um, bore enormous fruit. I mean, that that kind of set the tra- trajectory for my whole life. Was that I wound up uh, uh, getting a fellowship for political science master's degree. And then I was the first fellow of the St. Louis University Urban Affairs Program. Then I got a fellowship to UWM political science for my doctorate. and Then I got a Fulbright fellowship to Tunisia. And uh, by the time I had all these experiences, I was a bit too a free-range chicken to be in academics and I had to make money because I had a child so I fell back on my roofing uh, <laughs> my roofing career and here we are today.
0: That's great. God's I, right. uh, you, you've impressed me with sort of the, the casual bravery that you have exhibited in making such collaborative uh, connections uh, and you know when I worked for the Department of City Development you were not Anywhere approaching shy to reach out to the mayor of Milwaukee, and connect him, you know, with another uh, sort of out-of-the-box thinker, and say, hey, you know, what, what say we have some collaboration here? What say? I remember was the term that you would use as well, and then you would you would rather, you know, take a step back and just allow the heads to talk and and find some some new ground there. That that was really impressive and memorable.
1: remember that that is yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, and then when email came along holy moly my god all of of a sudden for nothing i could be in contact with 100 200 people overnight Uh, and my my catch line was uh what say why not yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and i and i got the why not from bobby kennedy may he rest in peace Hmm. so that's one thing is uh just to uh, be alert to the fact that very modest, uh, uh, modest acts can have very surprising consequences. Uh, you're not afraid to, to start the modest act, you know.
0: And I imagine you were following your heart in all of these modest acts. This was something that you were moved to to push as as an uh item of interest because it was important to you you believed in it
1: yeah that's another thing i hear myself say to uh, people you couldn't not do that you can't not do that i i think each of us has a little destiny and a a deep deeper voice that who knows where it comes from the mystery to me uh and it compels uh thought and action in a certain in a certain direction uh where those thoughts come from i don't know uh but i have been oh seized as if by a madness (laughs) by certain concepts you know like like when when trump got elected the first three months i went insane uh that he had been elected, and I, I was even more insane that people from my Jesuit high school, who I thought would celebrate with me this new pope, who said things that so many of my fellows wished the Catholic hierarchy would say and do, he said all these good things. And then he wrote that encyclical. Is Laudato Si something that an intellectual from America living in Sweden would have come across, the Pope's encyclical on the marriage of social with ecological justice? Have you ever heard of that um, essay? It didn't get much play in America.
0: I I have not. I guess it
1: probably wouldn't.
0: There's probably a library Uh, full of things that I haven't heard of, um, which is... Oh, sure, yeah. But you, you have. But I appreciate Pope wind. Francis. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you've gotten wind of Pope Francis defying yeah. so much. Yeah. Uh, and particularly so much of what's left of the Catholic hierarchy and uh, Sunday Mass goers. You know, the, the good, the, the, the most enlightened, the most Christ like. The most Mary-like Catholics from my life uh, have quit the formal church. They don't, in fact, a lot of them say they're no longer Catholics. Uh, and uh, that saddens me because I think, you know, like a like a Jew who doesn't adhere to all of the strictures that the Orthodox Jews adhere to, but still considers herself or himself Jewish by culture. That's something that I've been hoping to inspire among people out of the Catholic culture of the planet Earth, who've been exposed to the sacraments and in grade school, Catholicism was their foundational theology. And in in an awful lot of instances, it was a Sermon of the Mount do unto others as you would have them do unto you catholicism reinforced by mystery and incense and churches with beautiful windows and all that kind of stuff and that's made a mark and so i consider myself a catholic by culture and i consider the the young men who were privileged to have jesuit high school training uh, sort of like the vanguard of the modern Catholic uh, world, and I I thought that uh, we would celebrate Pope, Pope Francis and be abhorred by Trump, just freaked out by Trump, as I was. And so I wrote a letter to 160 of my fellow 1963 graduates of St. Lucie High saying, well, you know, there was a time when if you're an Irish American, you're a Democrat, uh, because the Republicans are the party of the rich and the Democrats are the party of the working class. And now that a lot of us are rich, um, we're tempted to go Republican, but even if you are Republican today, Donald Trump is anathema to your basic beliefs, in my estimation, and he's gonna wreck the Republican Party. And to my astonishment, the president of the student body of my high school went apeshit that I had written that letter to a kind of an informal, apolitical uh, email assemblage. And I, I mean, he was—he would have punched me in the face if I'd been around. And I discovered that twenty or thirty of my fellow classmates of uh, there were two hundred of us. Uh, agreed with him, uh, primarily around the abortion issue, I think. Uh, The race issue and the class issue, I don't think they felt comfortable in their conscious mind of uh, admitting to it being a factor. It was that uh, they glommed on to the abortion issue. and. Uh, considered me something like of a, quote, baby killer, because uh, I was pro-choice and I was supporting a candidate who was pro-choice. So I went nuts uh, and organized what I called the Ignatian response to Ferguson. Ferguson with Michael, was it Michael Brown, the young man who was uh, shot, killed by the police and then let the, uh, line the street yeah. uh, for four hours. Michael, was that his first name? Yeah. Yeah, so I created a, on the Milwaukee Renaissance site, I created a a platform called Ignatian Response to Ferguson. And I literally thought that uh, I would be able to, like I did in Milwaukee, uh, attract hundreds of Jesuit trained progressives across the country to team up and uh, advance progressive Catholics in support of Democratic candidates. But uh, that was not to be. I can't tell you how surprised I was that that didn't fly. Um, and that, so there there is an obsession that, like it, it didn't bear the kind of fruit that I thought it would. But, uh, you know, I I use this as a learning experience, and I still am in contact with uh, about 10 of my buddies, one of whom has written stuff that makes it all worthwhile. He's a retired judge who writes literally in my mind as well as Mark Twain. So uh, small things can sometimes not remain small things, and that's okay. You move on. But I had to do that. I ha- I could not not try. And I, I actually I can't stop trying. Yeah. With respect to uh, this particular issue, I, I until I die, I will be trying to awaken uh, Catholic trained boys and girls to focus on the progressive as- aspects of the Catholic culture and not turn their backs on their fellow Catholics just because they. To go to mass and vote for Trump and all that kind of stuff.
0: What motivates you so strongly to do that? What is the source of your conviction?
1: It's a mystery to me. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> it's like that's what I was saying. I, I I think there there's some of us who who can't not do what an inner voice tells us has to be tried. Hmm. You just you get, just got to do it. It's hmm. just your destiny. To act around certain issues, and you try—I try to be reflective and not not fanatical and rational in the allocation of my resources. Um, but I—I uh, I, I probably have about ten major projects of my lifetime that uh i guess i mean you know I, I call myself a war horse of the movements of our time and then which of those movements i spend time on is a mystery to me i kind of uh what am i working oh right now oh you'll you'll understand this there's because of your milwaukee time there's a thousand acre farm school for boys hmm in mcguanago wisconsin 45 minutes from milwaukee that was organized in 1918 by one of the inheritors of the wells family his name is norris and mr norris took his millions and devoted the rest of his life to creating a farm school for boys, uh, referred to him by the courts and by the police and by parish priests who identified boys that were troubled. There's 500 acres of wonderful agricultural land, 100 acres of forest with uh, 20 miles of trails, maybe three or four lakes. Right now, there's 20 buildings. One of them, the, an adolescent psychiatric treatment center, but also a, a school that is equipped with facilities equal in a way to hardware equal to university school. Hardware, but for working class kids. You know, a metal shop, carpentry shop, a theater, uh horticulture center on and on and on and that is right now basically moribund m-o-r-i-b-u-n-d with a progressive teacher who is sitting on top of a independent school district and they have asked me and a couple other people to do our best to connect program people of Norris with Milwaukee mentors so that when the boys most of whom are referred from Milwaukee courts go through the Norris program both uh, pedagogical but also psychiatric and psychological but they throw them back at Milwaukee with no follow-up programs so that's my current obsession is to pull together uh, a collaboration, collaborative network that will start with a small victory and that would be a little workshop camp in the summer for boys and maybe girls to learn how to swing a hammer and use a drill and but they get to spend uh, you know a week at Norris and over the next 10 years, it would grow into the Norris summer camp for inner city kids. And then over a generation, it would turn into something that would uh, you know, be the equivalent of MATC or uh, a school for the arts that would give career, career pathway training. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of keep you abreast of that now that yes. we've reconnected because you have, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll promote Uh, that how I can. I'd like to include some info, key info, words or links in the description of this episode um, and and push it through whatever channels I have available, sure.
1: And then also the Sweetwater Foundation, I don't know how much you know about it. It was Uh, in the third
0: ward. It was a large uh, old warehouse that you guys converted into an urban agriculture intensive site.
1: Yeah, that was Sweetwater uh, Organics. And Organics basically bankrolled Sweetwater Foundation. And uh, uh, we knew that Sweetwater Organics was a a very, very, very iffy proposition. But uh, I knew that if Sweetwater Organics leadership would let us open source Sweetwater Organics, uh and if we set up a non-profit focused on harvesting the cultural capital the social capital and even the spiritual capital that sweetwater organics generated uh, that we had the making of a non-profit that could make make a mark and uh i was spot on And so we was headed up by a guy named emmanuel Pratt. I'm.
0: Lost you for a bit, Jim. We're using uh, Facebook Messenger instead of Zoom. I hope the audio quality is alright. I
1: lost you momentarily. Yeah,
0: same. Okay, but uh, we got as far as you realizing that if if you were able to. Um, leverage harvest the the are, are we are the capital the social open source yeah.
1: yeah social cultural spiritual capital of yeah. the organics venture for a nonprofit that would use that as a new pedagogy uh to give kids hands on experience with science technology engineering art architecture math and ecological uh, Awareness and that has grown into Sweetwater Foundation, that is now centered in Chicago, and its director won an, a MacArthur Genius Award last year. His name is Emmanuel Pratt. He won a Harvard Harvard Loeb Fellowship the year before, and I participated. In, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can. Yep.
1: Can you hear me, Ken? Yes. I was on a Zoom on a Zoom call yesterday, where he had five so-called Sweetwater Global Fellows from different universities across the country and even the world, giving a presentation about their hybrid summer, where some of them were uh, at the farm or the Commonwealth, as he calls it. Others were digitally connected and uh, attending this uh, Zoom call. Was the the dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Design, the dean of the University of Chicago, uh, the dean of the of, uh, University of Michigan's School of Architecture, uh, the head of the Smart Museum of Chicago? It's you know star-studded, all kinds of uh, Loeb and Harvard, uh, uh, MacArthur Genius uh, people. Uh, he's on the threshold of. Um, I don't know. I, I, I sent him a note the other day. You know about the Port Huron Statement? You ever come across that uh, concept?
0: The Port Huron uh, statement? SDS,
1: Students for Democratic Society. No. The Port Huron Statement. No. Uh, 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 Jane Fonda and uh, what? Tom Hayden. You ever hear of Tom Hayden? Tom Hayden was married to Jane Fonda. They were notorious uh, anti-war. People back in the '60s, um, uh, Students for Non-Violent, SNCC, Students for Non-Student Non-Violent Coordinating Committee. You ever hear of SNCC? No. Uh, th- these are the uh, the avant-garde of the student movement of the '60s. Uh, gathered around a a document called the Port Huron Statement. If you were to Google Port Huron uh, Wikipedia, you'd, you'd come across it, and it, it basically was a Uh, a kind of a uh, manifesto for uh, participatory democracy from the ground up written by Tom Hayden after a conference in Port Huron, Michigan. And it became the the basis for organizing the student anti-war movement uh, in the 60s. And uh, I told Pratt, I said, you know, what what you're doing reminds me of what uh, Hayden, and the people of SDS uh, did in the 60s I think you're providing a model that's going to ripple across the country if not the world uh, regarding our urban agriculture married to artisanal training married to community organizing married to art in service of community uh, development and social justice uh, he's pulling it all together. I'll I'll begin just wafting you stuff. Oh, here here's another one of my mantra. Rocky Marcoux. He headed up the Department of City Development. You know about Rocky? Was yep. he there when you were there? Yep, yep. Okay, so <laughs> so Rocky at some conference. There was a ton of people uh, from all over the city there. He said, "Now listen, Gansel's going to send you more emails than." could ever read nor that you would ever want to read but don't delete them because someday some of them will be worth <laughs> will be worth your time so that's what i'm going to do to you now that i got you back <laughs> back enough. in my radar is uh i will walk yeah i'll walk you stuff about some of these themes with no expectation whatsoever that you respond but don't delete them because with Gmail, you can you can handle you can handle a thousand God, so emails. It's no trouble, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I I make headline headings, subject headings that uh, make make searches five years later quite easy.
0: I, I will uh, send you my all one time live at gmail.com address in a message, so you've got right. <laughs> very
1: good, very good. So that's don't don't be afraid. I, uh, Al Sharpton's grandma told me, God still life's not about falling down." It's a- about getting yourself back up. So Sweetwater Organics went bankrupt after four years. Uh, I was not at all surprised. A lot of people were thunderstruck that it went bankrupt. And all kinds of people would come up and pat my shoulder and say, oh, God, God, I'm so sorry that Sweetwater Organics went bankrupt. And I said, well, you know, that was an idea that wasn't quite yet ready to be born. But out of that... Roo Sweetwater Foundation and watch that for a while, and that's what uh, has happened. And in my same thing with Eshack Inc. Eshack was a community development corporation that I was a board president of in 1980, and uh, it had a budget of two million dollars in River West uh, 1980 money, which would wow. be like what six seven million dollars today, yeah. and it went bankrupt in the 90s. Uh, uh, all, all kinds of uh, businesses and social enterprises and marriages and career trajectories go belly up. But if you don't lose your mind to that setback and draw the lessons there uh, forthcoming, uh, the next time uh, you know you're it's composting. You're composting your life's soil. Uh, that's hugely important. Uh, when I when I coached Little League uh, soccer, uh, one of my deep obsessions was to get the kids to not be afraid to shoot the ball. Same thing with basketball. I would bellow, shoot it, shoot it, take a shot, take a shot. Mm. And if you miss, you go back on defense. You go for the rebound, no problem. You, you know, you, you got to shoot the ball.
0: Right on. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in in recognizing yeah, our no, challenges I, I of... as uh, opportunities to learn, that they give us something to grow from. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: I I I think that's the like the foundational theme of of life on this planet is mutations from trial and error over and over and over and over and over and over, <laughs> and over, and over again. Uh, yeah. Indeed. Yes, sir. <laughs> Oh, you know, there's somebody here. You, okay, I gave you Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle, yeah. 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Uh, today I get. Today I give you. I give you the Eco Priest, Father Thomas, Berry, B E R R Y. All right. If you were to Google Thomas Berry, Yale, Yale now has a Thomas Berry Institute. Uh. Very, if, if Eckhart totally spent more time in evolutionary uh, history, going back to the first cell, going big bang, actually, uh, going forward, um, and integrated his, his philosophy with ecology, that would be Thomas Berry.
0: Cool.
1: So he's, uh, he's absolutely, yeah, he's dead now. But, uh he he he, he has a, a little video called the new story uh wherein he says the old story of the old religions aren't doing the job anymore we need people to create new stories and the revelatory mystery for the next thousand ten thousand years for the what he calls the ecozoic age is the universe story the universe story is what's the basic mystery for us to to research. And that involves both science as well as uh, the mystic traditions of, of the humans across all continents. Uh, he's just, and he also, he uses the term great work. This is your great work. The great work is work which contributes towards transitioning from uh, this age of I can't remember what we call our age now. What is it called by the geologist? Uh, this age, I I don't know. Is it Anthropocene? Yeah, the I think Anthropocene you're right. yeah. age the is Anthropocene. that what they call us yeah. now?
0: Yeah, I believe. So, yeah, right.
1: and, and he, ba- yeah, he begs us to see life as a communion of beings, and humans are not the only beings that we have to pay attention to. We have to pay attention to Hall of creation uh, if we're going to survive uh, on, on the planet. That's very wonderful. This
0: wonderful guy sounds guy. absolutely right up my alley. He's singing the music. That oh yeah, no, thing. you'd
1: love him. Yeah, right. Father Thomas Berry, just Google Thomas Berry Yale. And uh, there's just, there's like a thousand pages of, and then maybe 20 YouTubes, uh, very sweet guy. Uh, are you still in contact with uh, our Irish uh, planner? Uh,
0: yeah, I seem. I seem to. Brian. We seem to email each other about twice a year for one reason or another. So yeah, we're still okay, yeah. we're still in loose contact yeah. across the ocean. Yeah. yeah.
1: He 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 had a a kind of uh, a fatalist aspect that I used to always uh, try to slap away from him. Uh, uh,
0: it, but did, that's did what drove him. Uh, sure, but that was the uh, the coal of yeah. his engine, man. That that is what was burning him to like push yeah. and and not, I mean, he had quite a colorful vocabulary, so he wouldn't take shit from anybody. Um, Uh He would drive hard and Uh that would work both for him and against him. But yeah, that was his motivation, yeah.
1: Well, uh, the Milwaukee Make Place uh, anticipated an awful lot of the uh, good work being done today uh, that appreciates the power of design and art uh, you know, in all human collectivities, be they neighborhoods or companies or our movements. And you and Brian uh, awaken me in that regard to that, uh, for which I'm very grateful. The Menominee Valley has uh, mm-hmm. done, he was so frustrated about the Menominee Valley. And quite often when I drive through there, I think of him. Yeah,
0: what a <laughs> wonderful uh, transformation. It's a lot of good stuff there. Yep.
1: Yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Say, I could only stand so much bliss now, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'd am i be delighted to do this uh, once a month, once a quarter. Uh, yes. And keep in touch with you.
0: Yeah. I, you just great. gave me goosebumps. That's great, So yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank okay, you so I gotta much. Go for me this time. i got to go finish those gutters.
1: i got to finish those gutters. <laughs> if I don't finish those gutters by noon, Mary's not going to be happy. I'm
0: thoroughly <laughs> impressed. Um, yeah. <laughs> Climb safe. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye, Thank so. you. God bless you. God bless you too. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Hi, everybody. Quick post edit here. Uh, oftentimes, I may make an error uh, in the podcast with a name. Just want to make a couple of corrections at the end of this uh, that that great interview with James Godsell. Um, the city planner we worked with w- was not O'Reilly it was just Riley, Brian Riley. <laughs> <laughs> I was caught up in the moment. Uh, and I hadn't thought of him in particular as the Irish city planner before. So I think that just, uh, sort of tipped, tipped my mind in that direction. Um, but he certainly is, uh, marvelously Irish. And, um, you know, he'd be great to interview as well. Uh, in any case just reminds me of not just Peter Gabriel but um our, our fondness for uh Van Morrison among other musicians uh Brian Riley O'Reilly as they say in the old country forgive me for that um th- one more correction a couple episodes ago uh, or one episode ago actually interview with Laura Robles um episode 30 uh we talked about a uh uh, sort of witchcraft store in Milwaukee on Brady Street back in the '80s or '90s, and I called it Sanctum Sanctorum, and I, it was actually Sanctum Regnum. Not a big deal, but nevertheless, um, slight correction there. Sanctum Sanctorum is a—that's uh, a favorite spot on Bear Island of a good friend of mine here in Sweden. So um, that's it for minor corrections. Again, if you want to hurl insults at me um, or shower me with uh, compliments, send me an email at live at gmail.com. And as always, thank you very much for being here. And until next time, bye for now. Bye. bye.